Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, uh, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello there. Welcome to session 161 of Selling the Couch. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune into today's session. Today's session is actually a really practical session all about online counseling. Now, we've had past episodes of the podcast where we've talked a lot about you know, what exactly is online counseling? How do you find a, what are some of the video, you know, HIPAA compliant video platforms out there, all of those things. But today's session is actually a little bit different. This is more about the therapeutic relationship and the actual and working with clients in the day to day of online counseling. So questions like, how do you build therapeutic rapport when you are seeing someone over a video? What does that initial consult look like? And what questions do you ask differently, knowing that this is an online client versus a client that you might see in an office? And how do you account for things like when a client maybe has thoughts of suicide, thoughts of homicide, thoughts of self-injury, or there's like an acute psychosis situation? What do you do? How do you plan for that when you are seeing a client online? My guest today is our Shelly Smith and Jen Labanowski. They are both licensed marriage and family therapists. And they just have a wealth of knowledge when it comes to online counseling. They're actually clinicians that they were actually in a, uh, as you guys will hear, they were in a office together. They were business partners and then they, both of their families moved. And so they wanted to maintain that business relationship and still wanted to maintain the practice. And they expanded into online counseling. And so they've learned a ton of really awesome stuff that uh, I'm excited to share with you guys. Hey friends, it's Melvin. Before we get to today's podcast episode, just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Wellers for supporting today's podcast session. So the traditional model of renting office space is that you may rent for a day or half a day and you pay for it regardless of whether you use it, right? So for example, let's say a client cancels or a client no-shows or you get sick, you're still paying for that office space. Wellers employs a new model, which is a therapy office as a service. So you only pay for the time that you actually use it. So for example, you might, uh, and, and all of this is done actually through Wellers online scheduling portal. So if you are a therapist that's looking for office space, you would connect with other therapists that are on the Wellers network um, you would see the office space, see pictures of the office space, get descriptions or all of that kind of stuff. 
see in terms of availability and then reach out to the person that rents the office space, get to know them as a person, right? And then uh, anytime that you need that office space, if you if both of you decide it's a mutually good fit, anytime you need that office space, you would simply use the Weller's portal to schedule. Now, if you're on the other side of it, where you are the you are a private practice owner that has office space that you're not that's not being utilized at all hours, then you can actually be part of the Weller's network, and it's completely free to list your office space. And Weller's only makes money if if you actually have someone that books the office space. You can learn more about Weller's and the awesome services that they provide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Weller's. And Weller's is, is spelled W-E-L-L-E-R-Z. And if you go through that link, you can get one hour free credit to book anywhere. So we'll get right to today's session. Here's my conversation with Shelly and Jen from unitedcounseling.com and aboutconnect.com. Shelly, Jen, uh, welcome to Selling the Couch. Thanks so much for having us. No, you're so welcome. I am so glad you guys reached out because I've definitely had past episodes where we've talked about online counseling, a lot of the practical aspects of online counseling, but we actually haven't talked much about kind of the day-to-day of it, right? Because IE, I think a lot of clinicians have questions, fears around, you know, the difference between online counseling and just this in sort of traditional in-office therapy. Yeah, that's what we're finding too. It's, It's a lot of questions about how do you actually be a clinician online. Yeah, no, absolutely. So guys that are listening, I don't do too many episodes where there are three of us. So this should be a lot of fun. Uh, So as much as possible, I will try to keep this super conversational and hopefully not confusing or any of that. But Shelly, I thought we would start with you. What motivated you to consider online therapy? Well, a couple things, like a lot of clinicians, uh, it came out initially when clients were asking us for different ways of connecting. Maybe they were on a business trip or they had to stay home sick with a kid or something like that. And so clients would ask for a phone session or they would ask if we ever do Skype or something along those lines. And so that piqued an interest, but I wasn't really sold on it. I'll be honest, I had a little bit of a bias against it, honestly. (laughs) Um, And then just over a year ago, a little longer than that, I suppose, Jen, maybe 18 months ago, um, Jen and I both realized we were going to be relocating with our families. Um, And so our in-person practice wasn't going to be able to continue the same way and start new practices somewhere. And then kind of got this idea of, well, what if I continued at least with some of my clients Um, during that time, figured out the online piece uh, and talked to Jen about that. And we started doing our homework and exploring it and researching it and figuring out what was what it would really look like and how to do that ethically, which was a big question for us. And it it kind of led us to realize that we could relocate our families, free up some flexibility for us as therapists, serve the needs of our clients, and expand our reach all at the same time. Yeah, sounds like an amazing package. (laughs) Right? And and, And so we kind of tiptoed down that path for a while and, and then finally just jumped in. Well, I think that's one of the, I don't know, I'm realizing one of the 
I don't know that I, I definitely did not think about this in undergrad, definitely did not think this about this in grad school, which is the flexibility that our profession offers, especially to go into this more online medium, right? That you can actually build a career that's like focused on things like family and things like that and vocation independence and those kind of things. It's, it's very cool. Jen, what about for you? What motivated you to start? You know, like Shelly said, she kind of started to warm to it first. And when she first talked to me about it, I went to that that initial gut fear of that, like losing the magic, right? I mean, my attachment with clients has always been, I felt like so central to the work. And I was just really not sold on the idea that I would be able to maintain that. But then when I looked at the benefits that it could offer, first off, the clients that we were serving at the time and would have had to terminate with or transfer those clients because of our own relocation, and then the additional flexibility that it provided to the clients, and then for our own lives, all those things, I mean, the benefits just so far outweighed that fear that we just, we had to look into it. And I feel like that fear has just disintegrated. <laughs> and and it, it really is a wonderful situation to be able to structure our practice the way that we want to and structure our lives the way that we want to, and then provide access and flexibility to clients that, that might not otherwise engage in services. And so it's it removes so many barriers. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Shelly, I wanted to come back to you and then Jen mm-hmm. actually come back to you on something you said. Shelly, you said you had a bias against the <laughs> yeah. medium of online counseling. What was the bias? It was similar to, I think, what Jen said. I was afraid of losing that magic in the room, afraid of losing that more intense connection, therapeutic rapport with clients. Uh, and you know, some of the work that I do with clients was a bit more experiential, or I would use art, or I would use you know, in family therapy, I would have them get up and switch seats <laughs> if we needed to. Mm-hmm. You know, just some some different interventions or things that I really appreciated using in therapy and I was afraid of losing all of that. And I thought, surely there's no way to connect well with clients online or in the same way online. So it was, it was a steep learning curve to, to figure that out and kind of get rid of my own bias against it. I'm so glad you're, you're so transparent with that because Jen, you said that the word fear, which I feel like that's a common word a lot of clinicians have that are thinking about this online medium. What did you do, Jen, to work through that fear of this is the way that I understand therapy, which is in the room versus like, maybe I can think outside the box. Absolutely. So much research and so much processing. And, you know, Shelly and I have this really kind of unique situation because we worked together in the same location for years in an in-person practice. And, and like she mentioned earlier, when we were both looking to relocate to different states with our families, the initial thought was, well, then you disband the practice and, and you begin something new. But this online aspect offered us the, the flexibility to still stay together. And honestly, I think that that was one of the biggest things to remove the fear was the fact that I've had a partner in this experience. And so we've shared the research and we voice our fears. And I mean, you know, we're both therapists, so we're good at processing things together, right? So that's a lot of information and a lot of just time processing through. 
I mean, just what a wonderful thing that you guys have one another to yeah. navigate all of this. Because I think yeah. this is something that we don't often talk about, right? Especially starting a practice is hard, but then shifting the way of understanding mm-hmm. practice. Like, to be honest, I have no idea how you guys like both simultaneously held the fear of <laughs> moving your families to different states and deciding, like holding that position of, okay, now... Well, well, the only option is to close this down to, well, maybe there's another route. Like, it's yeah. just, I don't know, mm-hmm. as hearing it, it's just, it's so admirable. Thank you. Oh, thank you. It was, it was quite a process, but it, it also, I think it also helped for us to, at least for me, to minimize the fear a little bit and process through because we had each other, but we really did our homework. And when we say that, it's not like we spent three weeks looking yeah. at this. I mean, we're almost embarrassed to say it, but we spent about six months really digging in mm-hmm. to research, to online podcasts, to articles, to techniques and best practices. I mean, we really dove in pretty seriously into what would it actually look like and how can you do this well prior to ever getting online with a client. So I think that process helped quite a bit. Shelly, what, like just offhand and Jen, feel free to chime in as well. Any like resources that were particularly helpful in that first stage? I think that we learned a lot from some of the resources that Clay Cockrell um, has kind of curated with with onlinecounseling.com with his directory, but then his resources to therapists and through his podcast, the online counseling podcast, we learned quite a bit. Um, that's, a, that's the first one that comes to mind for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yeah, there were also a handful of other resources that I found really useful, like our professional organization, AAMFT. They came out with some guidelines for online therapy, for telehealth in general, and some of it's incredibly detailed. uh, And it gave us kind of a a guideline for for some ethical things to think about, stuff like that. So really, you know, going into our professional organizations, the trying to remember, I think it's Eckhart and Green or mm-hmm. the lawyers who had the 50 state telehealth documents. You can look up state regulations, you know, some things like that. There's some resources out there that were pretty useful. I actually knew one or two clinicians who were doing online work. So I was able to ask them some questions and then some books that picked up along the way. So I think we kind of tried to pull in from a lot of different resources mm-hmm and get a broad view of what it can look like and, and develop our own kind of ideas about what's best for clients. Right. Did you guys come across, because it's on my queue to like buy and go, the Zur Institute Digital Ethics Online Counseling, like I think there's like this massive course, like 20. Yes, 28, it's, a very, it's 26 or 28. And yeah, I think that there's also a certification program. I don't remember if it's through them or through someone mm-hmm. else. By the time we started coming across some of that stuff, we had already done so much work. <laughs> we kind of realized as we were looking into those courses, that we had already learned most of the information right. that was in there. Um, but I've heard they're, they're really helpful for people to, to at least get some basic nuts and bolts mm-hmm. and kind of get, get the basic information right off the bat. It doesn't really go into clinical work very much from what I've heard. Mm-hmm. But again, not a lot of familiarity with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, Shelly, you, you said it really well, Jen, and I wanted to turn it over to you because I really want to focus our time on more of these like clinical, practical aspects yeah. to mm-hmm. counseling. So 
or online counseling. So what does an online consult or an initial consult look like when it's done in this online counseling medium? So, and, and I am really glad that, that you want to focus on, on kind of the, the practical clinical stuff, because honestly, through all the research that we've done, that is the area that, that we've found most lacking. And, and I think that that's why our partnership has been helpful to, to try and come up with some of those answers. And so, so I'll kind of speak to what we've sort of developed in our practice that seems to be working for us. Really for all our clients, whether they think that they may be coming in exclusively in person, exclusively online, or a combination of both, we typically offer you know, a brief consultation to find out if the therapist client fit is right. But if we know that there could be an online aspect, then of course there are additional things that come into consideration, right? Even if it's a clinical issue that we feel that we feel we're a good person to help the client address those particular issues if they're not appropriate for online counseling, like any of the obvious high risks, right? So risk of you know, harm to self for others or a significant diagnosis that would really benefit from face-to-face contact. Those would be the things that we're just kind of, I guess, screening for differently. Often though, if clients are seeking out online counseling from the beginning, I do often offer a video consult. I mean, I think that Shelly does, does the same, especially if they're an international client where having phone call would be more difficult to do really than, than doing a, a brief video chat. And it also gives the client a little bit of a taste for what that video counseling relationship would be like. So. Do you set expectations that the medium will be online before or how does that work? Is it something you mentioned on the website? So is it like a self-filtering or does that make sense? Yeah. Well, so I mean, clients, we kind of get the gist from the way that clients are coming to us in the first place, right? And so if they are often, they're coming through our practice management portal. Um, if they're just directly booking a session, often they're, they're choosing an in-person location. And, and when we can see that the person is, is in person and that's what they're booking for, that's kind of where we assume that we start. Though sometimes those clients aren't aware of the online services that we provide and then actually end up taking us up on that as an offer. And, and we, that just kind of, kind of comes through maybe in the first in-person session. So those are the clients that kind of flex between the two. But the clients that are going to be exclusively online, it's easier to tell because often those come to us through the online counseling directory. And so we know that that's what they're looking for or depending on what they state in their, in their intake about where they're located, uh, then we, we know to start there. Yeah. Or we often get emails through our website, things like that. You mentioned the website and we do have on there a page for just sort of therapy information. And then we have a separate page for online therapy Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of gives some, some details about what that's like and kind of walks people a little bit at least through how to make the decision if that's right for them. And so we have the information on there that both are available. And then in our bios and places like that, it lists you know, where we're each able to practice based on licensure in the U.S. or internationally. And, and so that information is on our website. So if people you know, email or, or call and leave a voice message or something like that to try to get in contact with us, most people generally state it out front if they want online therapy. It is something that I've found occasionally I'll offer to people if they're interested in doing therapy with me, 
but for some reason the scheduling isn't working out or, you know, there's some other factor, even if they are local, um, I'll let them know that that's, that's an option. You know, if we want to kind of do um, sort of a hybrid of in-person or online as needed, we can do that. And that there's just flexibility, I guess, built into therapy that way. Right. No, those are all really good points. So circling back to that initial consult, I just want to make sure I heard it correctly. So it sounds like in at least some of the consults, you'll actually do the consult on the video platform. Mm -hmm. Other ones are live, like in the office. Oh, no, the consultations that we do for any client Mm -hmm. are typically on the phone or on the video platform. And that's probably where I tripped you up by mentioning the the live clients or whatever. But I think when we know off the bat that somebody is looking for video counseling, we are more likely to start and just do the consult that way. Got it. All of it's connecting. So based on the information that you're gathering either in emails or whatever Mm -hmm. so then you Mm -hmm. actually just siphon off right Mm -hmm. telephone or video and then make that transition that way and then the big things that you're looking for are sort of high risk so suicidality Mm -hmm. homicidality yeah abusive situations okay if you can pick up on anything like that um or yeah significant diagnoses okay so those kind of things okay yeah things like psychosis you know severe paranoia, um, you know, certain things that we think, you know, professionally think are better served in in an in-person relationship with more resources in the local area. Or also situations where whole body visual cues are Mm -hmm. important, like eating disorders or things like that. Mm -hmm. Had a funny moment at one point with a client who mentioned being, I don't know, like, six foot six or something like that. And it was funny to me because in my brain, I wasn't particularly thinking of the client as being a tall person. And it was funny to me to not know the height of my client, right? Mm. But for that particular client, it doesn't make any difference clinically how tall the client is, right? That wasn't an important piece of context. But if we were not being able to see the whole person or, I mean, if there's self-harm, that kind of goes in two directions, right? The, the risk factors and then also just the, the full body visual cues that you lose with online counseling are significant in some cases. Mm-hmm. Got it. Shelly, I wanted to transition over mm-hmm. to you, which I feel like one of the most common struggles that clinicians have in transitioning to this online counseling is like therapeutic rapport. How do you build rapport, especially when it's all like over video? And so I wanted to just start there. Like, what have you guys found helpful in building that connection with clients over a medium like video? Yeah, that was, I think, one of my initial concerns. And I I believe it was one of Jen's as well. So we spent a lot of time talking about it, actually, and trying to figure out if there's any way that we can be intentional about still trying to maintain that therapeutic rapport with clients. And so for me, I guess I've got a handful of them, but the first one uh, that I think of is lowering my own anxiety about it and being comfortable with the medium myself and just believing that a deep connection can be made online. And so for me, this was a bit of a mind shift. Once I realized 
that I could make a connection with clients online and still have that therapeutic rapport and kind of let down my own anxiety and feelings about it, suddenly I was able to have a better rapport with all my clients. (laughs) I was able to connect a little deeper. And that, so for me, part of that process was just sort of a self of the therapist process, right? And kind of working on my own stuff around it. Um, That was pretty important initially. And then I think being able to to really kind of play with the technology a little bit. I had a session yesterday and the technology was just not cooperating well. <laughs> I don't know if it was their connection or what was happening, but we found some humor in it and we were able to, uh, you know, we have backup plans for backup plans that Jen and I have discussed for how to handle those situations, but just kind of, you know, laughing about it with the client and being able to have you know, humor and connect. I had a moment I think it was last summer after I had started with clients, but still wasn't terribly comfortable online with them. You know, I was listening. I don't remember exactly. It was a podcast I was listening to and a woman who does online therapy over in Europe pretty often made the comment about how often people fall in love online over a video and they have this incredibly deep and meaningful connection. And it often leads to marriages and living together for decades afterwards. So why can't we have a therapeutic relationship? And for me, that that was what really prompted sort of that shift in my own mind and then being able to find a little humor in it and be able to relax a little bit and connect with my clients in a different way. It allowed all of those relationships to be more impactful for the client, I believe. Also, a couple things that we, I think we get permission to, you know, send our clients notes in the mail, things like that. We intentionally get that permission in advance and mm-hmm. find out if it's okay to like send them a letter or something like that, as opposed to always maybe contacting them online. And so it's not unheard of for me to just write out a little note to my client, drop it in the mail. Uh, so they have something tangible from me, maybe a little reminder of the session or some things that we had talked about that I think may be important for them to remember during the week, stuff like that. And I think that helps build the connection too. Because you may not ever shake that client's hand at the end of a session, right? But putting a piece of paper in the mail with a personal note that's, you know, that paper was in your hands and those are your words. Something tangible like that has been one of the little little ways that we've liked to try and like break down that digital wall a little bit. Yeah, as you guys are talking, I mean, what a great idea. It's just, I keep thinking if, you know, I think words like rapport, we forget that it's ultimately just about connecting, right? Mm-hmm. Person to person. Right. And I like, I love the fact that you guys are talking about thoughtfully actually using the digital medium, right, as sort of the main thing, but then thoughtfully using these other things that are outside of the digital medium to actually build that connection and, and that, yeah, that support. Absolutely. And just to kind of go back to what Shelly was saying about lowering our own anxiety and, and you know, believing in it and that, that helps the, the client. And I, I think also for Shelly and I, I would probably categorize both of us as fairly warm people. And I think that that's mm-hmm. um, an important part of our therapeutic style, right? I like to be kind of casual and informal with clients. And, but I found initially that when my anxiety was high with providing online therapy, I was more likely to become less warm, less Mm -hmm. informal, less casual, right? And stiffen because of my fear. And 
that then makes even less space for that therapeutic connection, right? And so really that process of not just believing that it can work and instilling that confidence in the client, but I think that believing that it work, or that it can work, really it helps give us the space to let it work and be warm and be connected with the client. Yeah, no, absolutely. I feel like a lot of this is our own growth, right? And managing Mm -hmm. or examining our own expectations and assumptions and all of those different things. Yeah, it really is. I found that my clients adapted to it far faster than I did. Hmm. Um, and they seemed so much more comfortable just, you know, chatting and, and they and, and letting their emotions out and, and having, you know, really deep moments in therapy. And I was still, like Jen said, a bit rigid or stiff hmm. because of my own, my own stuff around it. And so that was one of the moments too that I thought, why are they so much more comfortable than I am? Yeah. You know, it's not because they knew the technology you better or anything like right. that. I was walking them through it and I realized it was really because of my own stuff that I needed to work out. In the Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Jen, I wanted to shift uh, the question a little bit and I wanted to actually talk about or just, you know, have a conversation about two challenges that come with this online format. Mm-hmm. The first one is reading body language through video. Where do we get started with that? (laughs) I mean, and and honestly, with video, I mean, you typically have maybe someone's head and torso or half of their torso, right? If it is a couple, often they have to sit further back from the camera so that they can both be in view. And so I think with with couples, we're, we're more likely to be able to see more of the bodies. But really, I mean, we get a lot from facial expressions. And I think along with that challenge of of being able to use the body language that we have available to us, which is a decent amount, it does not feel like a barrier frequently. But what can disrupt that and, and can disrupt a lot of other things is our tricky connectivity issues, right? Because if the screen's a bit blurry because the connection's not good, then you do risk losing some of those facial cues, right? Or there might be silent tears, you know, coming down a client's face that you would not be able to see if the the feed was not good. And so I think that there's still a lot that we can get from the client's body language-wise that can form our interventions and the content of this session. But but we just kind of try to pay attention to those other barriers and, and do everything we can address the tech issues so that we can get everything we can from the body language that we're able to see with the client. Yeah. Now I could actually see a situation where you almost, it's like that, that superpower, that ability to read body language mm-hmm. almost gets even more honed mm-hmm. the more you do something like an online counseling format, because you are aware of things like, you know, things could be a little fuzzy or the technology could give out. So you're just more paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. I think we are a little more in tune to it. At least I am now, you know, honing in a little more on what's happening with what I'm seeing of my clients. I'm also able to get context from where they're located, whether that's at work or at home. I have a client whose cat loves to join our sessions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it gives us some different context that can be really helpful as well. Mm-hmm. And so there's other pieces that get pulled in that don't necessarily replace any loss of body language or things like that, but can also help frame out the picture for us in a different way. So being really in tune with the body language that we can see and then picking up on those other contextual factors helps. Mm. Absolutely. 
Yeah, no, that's really helpful. I, Jen, just shifting a little bit to you. So, and I, and Shelly, I want to hear from you as well on this, but when tailoring interventions, especially, you know, I think a lot of clinicians love doing things in the office, whether it's artwork, playing board games, doing some kind of activity, mm-hmm. right? How do you do that in online? <laughs> you know, honestly, there are some things that we have not figured out yet. Theraplay was a big part of my early career, and I loved doing uh, this, you know, very specific form of attachment-based play therapy with small children. And I've kind of put a pin in it because I don't know if, if it's something that, that can mm-hmm. be done as well. I have doubts, but I've not ruled it out. But there are certain things that definitely, certain types of interventions that definitely pose more risks. And so Shelly and I kind of both have our own comfort level in terms of age of clients because the types of interventions that we might use with children are harder to adapt for online sessions. And and that's not to try and diminish hope that that it couldn't be done, but just knowing that different client needs pose Mm -hmm. different challenges and some are more easily addressed than, than others. So for the things that we're often doing with adult clients, whether they be individual clients or couples, a lot of things that we do to tailor the intervention can work pretty much just the same online. Um, and sometimes the, the online connection actually kind of enhances resources in some ways, because if we want to mention a particular book that we think would be really impactful for the client or an article or something like that, I mean, we might send a link through to the client as we're speaking, and they may have already purchased that book on Amazon, and it's going to be <laughs> there at their door in two days while we're still mid-session, right? And so yeah, sometimes the, the online aspect can can pose some difficulties, but it can also um, remove some barriers too. Yeah, no, I think the, the big thing I hear in this is it's almost like you have to get started and realize that there's going to be some flexibility, but yes. by making the assumption that, for example, I can't do any more experiential interventions, mm-hmm. then that's like one of the worst things you can do because you just, you don't want, I think, we don't let our brains actually navigate and, and find unique solutions. Yeah, I think what I found as we're trying to tailor interventions and we're trying to adapt things online is that it's allowed me to become creative in a different way in therapy. Mm. Right? And it's allowed me to explore some of that creativity and, and made therapy and interventions for me a little more fresh. I think after a number of years, kind of doing the same thing in the office, if we're not careful, we can get a little stale with it. And so this has allowed me to do things a little differently. I have some families that I work with with teenagers online, and that's always fascinating. You know, you can still have them get up and do things in the room, right? Mm -hmm. And they just pull the camera back a little further so that I can see it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, without getting into a whole lot of theory or anything like that here, you know, it really allows me to kind of pull myself out as much or as little as I want to. So from a systemic you know, perspective, I'm not quite as triangulated into the couple or the family as I would be in the room. I can use that to my advantage and, mm. you know, intervene or insert myself as much as I need to in that system or I can pull back out um, and be able to have them interact or I can ask them, you know, to turn and face each other and, and look each other in the eye and ask 
a question that's meaningful or I can have them rearrange their seating or get up and do something in the room or grab a piece of paper and write things down. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's still you know, plenty that you can do. You do have to adapt a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I, as a therapist, I think it's made me a better therapist in the sense that clinically, I now have to be a little more creative in trying to figure out you know, how to meet my clients' needs best. Yeah, no, absolutely. So when I was, before we started, I was like, hey guys, we should probably talk about couples and families. And I feel like that's going to be a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah. I will probably table that, but I did want to ask a final question, Jen, to you, which is, actually, wait, I got confused now. <laughs> what of you guys? Um, yeah. What do you do in a situation where there's some sort of imminent danger and or like the online client is and psychotic episode, for example. Right. Well, I feel like Shelly and I, our primary approach here is being very proactive to hopefully not get to that situation in the first place, right? And so we have a lot of things that we put into place in advance and to be on the same page with the client, right? So we talked about the the screening process, right? But then there are things that we've built into our intake to make sure that even if that's something that wasn't present during a screening or that we missed during screening or whatever that might be, that we have emergency contacts for the clients, that we have their local police phone number, not just 911, because if I'm in Minneapolis and my client is in Chicago and I call 911, that's not going to do a whole lot of good, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so to have their local police department phone number ready to go is an important thing for us to have in place. Then also always knowing where the client is, is located. I mean, typically, Typically, clients are meeting with us from the same place, but we notice that their their background is different and, and clients know that they should kind of give us a heads up as to their location if it's going to be different. But knowing where they're located and, and having the address for where they're located, again, if is a proactive step so that that way, if an emergency did arise, we would have that information at the ready. And then also the fact that we're already sitting at the computer screen we can access any resources quickly that we might need, any other phone numbers or hotlines or hospital psychiatrists, any other emergency services very quickly and seamlessly without having to pull away from the client in that moment of need. So we put in a lot of work on the front end, uh, hopefully. I have not encountered an emergency situation in all the time that I've been doing online work. That's not to say that it won't happen, but I feel ready for it when it inevitably will at some point. Um, Yeah, so I guess the big wisdom in that is taking the extra time to put those mm -hmm. unique safeguards in place Mm -hmm. just because, especially being cognizant that the client is in a different city or likely has the chance to be. So Um, when Shelly referenced all the work that we put in, you know, it wasn't just a couple weeks of research, it was months of research. These were the types of scenarios that we were going over Mm. so that we felt prepared for anything to provide both legal, ethical services to the client and yeah, be ready for whatever might come. Mm. Cool. Shelly, any other like sort of other thoughts around deck danger situations or psychosis or anything? Not really. I feel like um, with the online practice, we do tend to make it make all of that a little more transparent with clients. Mm -hmm. I mean, they know the reason we're asking for that information for the local police number for, you know, contact information for emergencies. It says right on there in case I need to call someone if you're, you know, at risk of harm or yeah, I mean, we're very open with our clients and transparent. And so I feel like 
if and when the need arises that we do have to make a call or we do have to you know handle an imminent danger situation the client's not going to be surprised by how we handle it and and we'll know what to do and be well prepared yeah no awesome jen shelley i'm just so grateful for you guys thank you so much for this conversation um where can we learn more about the work you guys are doing in the world we've got Information on our practice website, which is www.tryucw.com, T-R-Y-U-C-W for United Counseling and Wellness. And because we have a lot of information there for clients, we also have a lot of information that's relevant to other providers. But we also have another website for our separate business called Connect, and that website is www.aboutconnect.com. And Shelly and I have taken so much from our relationship working together to figure out how to do online counseling right and how to do it well and how to love doing it. And because our relationship together has given us so much, we decided that we want to be a resource to others who may not have a Shelly or a Jen. And so there's information on that website as well. Perfect. I will definitely link to that in the show notes, which you you guys can find over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 161. You're so welcome. And thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Thank you, Melvin. This was wonderful and great information. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks. You too. Thank you. Hey there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Shelly and Jen. And especially if you've had questions when it comes to the practical aspects of online counseling, I hope that today's session has given you some new insight and just some new learnings. Jen and Shelly mentioned a number of resources, and you can find that over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 161. This session particularly was just, I don't know, so helpful for me because as I navigate and jump back into private practice, just navigate this world of online counseling. I think as with all of us, I think one of the things that's just always on my heart is I want to do this well. And uh, I want, especially with this being a little out of the box when it comes to traditional therapy, I want to make sure that I am knowledgeable and as I can anticipate situations that may happen and uh, all of those different things. And I felt like just having this conversation was just very helpful for me. And I hope it was the same for you. You can find more about Jen and Shelly and the counseling work they're doing over at tryucw.com. And then if you want more information just about the consulting services that they provide when it comes to online counseling, you can check out aboutconnect.com. Before we wrap up, just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Turning Point HQ for supporting today's podcast session. So Turning Point HQ is the result or is the brainchild of David Frank, who is a financial planner for therapists. And as I've mentioned before, uh, Dave and I actually have gotten to be good friends, just an awesome person to work with. And one of the things that Dave will help us to do is create a holistic and an intentional retirement and investing plan that supports you to lead a really awesome life. Because ultimately, I think for many of us, it's we invest, right, to create the life that we want. And uh, it's to do it in an intentional way. And 
Dave, honestly, is just one of the most like heart-centered folks that I've ever met, and you're absolutely going to be in good hands with him. You can learn more about Turning Point HQ and the awesome services that they provide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash turning point HQ. And if you go through that link, uh, Dave actually created this seven financial mistakes that therapists make. It's a free downloadable and uh, you can download it right there. And then you also get $200 off any of your, any of the services that Dave provides. Be sure to mention that you heard it on STC. Have a great rest of your day and thank you again for taking the time to tune in. Take good care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.